When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey y'all, it's Alante, and you're listening to Black and in Grad School, the podcast that helps women and people of color like you excel in this journey. If you're listening, I believe you are an aspiring or current scholar who wants to successfully navigate this process by sharing my experience while pursuing my PhD and interviewing other Black graduate students or early career professionals. It is my hope that you can glean encouragement, advice, and strategies that you can apply to your journey. Thanks for listening. What's up, y'all? And I'm back with the good news as promised from last week, y'all. I passed my qualifying exams, OMG. Um, this is probably the first time I've even been able to be excited about that and to really feel like energetic about it. I found that out two days after my grandfather passed. So it just has been a hard time to be celebratory in such great and deep grief. Um, I just want to thank you all again for your patience as I'm going through this and I have a couple more episodes that I want to share with you all before we get back to the regular content. Um, This week, I have a really dope interview with Deja, and she's going to be talking about her personal finances and how she started grad school with um, a crib and doing a lot of really good things with her finances and has some really great advice for the personal finance side. I know we always talk about funding and things like that, and funding is important because it helps us pay our bills right so talking and thinking about how we um spend that money that we now have through funding is really important so i hope you enjoyed this episode it's a lot of good information a lot of good resources included and if you are um actually still considering graduate school maybe you're working or you're an undergrad right now the steps that deja took are definitely going to be super helpful for you and if you are already in grad school still a lot of good information about how you can prepare yourself for the next step or the next couple of years if you're just starting your program uh i hope that you enjoyed this week's episode and i am so excited to kind of be getting back to this because it really has been a bright spot through everything and i just feel like i can't thank you all enough which is why i try to have my little moments where i'm saying thanks again So, all right, we're getting to this week's episode. All right, y'all. Hey, it's Alante again with another episode of Black and in Grad School. And today we are talking about money. And I'm really excited um, to have a special guest with us because she has made some major money moves while in grad school. And we know if you are in grad school or thinking about grad school, you already know we don't make a lot of money. And so I'm really eager to hear her story and have her share her story with us so that we can, you know, make better financial decisions um, now so that we can set ourselves up for even a more prosperous financial future um, once we get this degree. So, Ms. Deja, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Um, 
So my name's Deja Knight. I'm originally from Beemore, Baltimore, Maryland, in case you didn't know. And I am now in Iowa. So I am a PhD student at the University of Iowa. And a little background, I got my bachelor's degree from Wesleyan University, the Wesleyan in Connecticut, not Iowa Wesleyan or whatever Wesleyan, the Wesleyan in Connecticut. <laughs> so you, you went to Wesleyan and uh-huh. and now you're at I- in Iowa and studying what? I study psychology generally, but my specific subfield is behavioral and cognitive neuroscience program under psychology at the University of Iowa. And so my research in particular focuses on learning and memory. So how do we learn categories and how do we recall those categories and how do we generalize those categories? So if I can make this more relatable to the audience, you know, you see a tree and you see a dog and categorizing means that when you see the tree, you know it's a member of the tree family, regardless of whether it's a maple tree or um, a cactus or whatever, you know it's a tree. And if you see a cat, regardless of what species of cat it is, you know it's a cat. And so that is the type of things that I study in my program is how do we categorize? How how do we form those categories and how do we generalize? And what brain regions are involved in storing those certain types of learning experiences? That's really dope wow (laughs) thank you yeah I always get excited hearing like all these different um fields of study and (laughs) disciplines and so now I just want to like how did you even get onto this path so I got onto this path kind of in a not a straight line (laughs) a lot of different things led me here so when I first went to undergrad I was so sure that I was either going to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, coming from a black family. Those are the two money makers there. My mom's like, you're either going to be a doctor or you're going to be a lawyer. Which one is it? And so when I started undergrad, I was on a pre-med track and I absolutely positively hated biology. That was the worst class I've ever taken in my whole entire life. And when I was in that biology class, I just remember thinking, I'm not going to make it. I don't care about a cell. I don't care about how a cell reacts to X, Y, and Z. I'm just not going to make it. But I had taken um, my first psychology class, which was this learning service learning course at Connecticut Valley Hospital, which is the oldest mental health um, institute in Connecticut. And I absolutely loved that class. You know, we had a chance to personally interact with people who live with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and talk, excuse me, talk to them about their experiences and talk to them about the stigma of mental health and where it has led. And I love that course. So that got me started on to my path of different psychology courses. But at the time, I was past my first year, which is where most people take their introductory psychology courses. So I kind of went and took an upper level psychology course before I took my intro. So I couldn't necessarily declare the psych major. So I decided to do the neuroscience major instead. And so it was um, neuroscience and behavior was the major at Wesleyan. So we learned a lot about neuroscience, a lot about behaviors and how our brain influenced behaviors. And I was like, that's what I want to do with the rest of my life. And I wasn't sure where I wanted to take that research until I got into the schizophrenia cognition lab, which really focused on different behavioral interventions and its impact on the cognitive processing of those who live with schizophrenia. 
So I said, okay, this is what I want to study for the rest of my life. So when I decided to apply to grad school, I really decided to apply to programs that allowed me to study learning and memory in a general context so that hopefully later on in my career, I can go and make it more specific to mental disorders or behavioral um, disorders in particular and how those people that or people that have those disorders learn and how they, you know, process the world. So it's kind of like you you were very strategic in thinking about your PhD program and how, like, how, like you know, that in order to answer the question you really want to answer, you need to have like this kind of foundation. But because uh-huh. you're in, you know, like psychology, <laughs> the foundation is a PhD level uh, yeah. rigor. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I, I came straight from undergrad to PhD. I didn't stop and get the master's or take a year off. So. That's how I'm 23 now. Nice. That's amazing. Oh, that's even better. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> that's that's really cool. Um, and kudos to you for being able to think that through. Um, were you talking? Did you have mentors who kind of help explain this to you, or were you just able to kind of like logically deduce this? So I had mentors and a big shout out to the McNair program. If anybody out there listening is a McNair scholar, congrats. You used to be a McNair scholar? No, I used to manage the program. Like I led. A, a oh, program. yeah. 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 So I was a McNair scholar. So our faculty and our um, staff directors really were my biggest support, mm-hmm. you know, and saying I did, I had no clue what a Ph.D. was when I entered undergrad. I said, what? What do you, what do you mean a Ph.D.? What? What can I do with that? What is that for? What is that just for scientists? And so McNair really helped to explain what a PhD was. They really spun it in such a way where it was like, Deja, you will get paid to get these degrees. And I said, oh, y'all going to y'all gonna pay me to do what I want to do? And they're like, yes, you get paid to do research and what you want to do. And I was like, well, where do I sign up? And so they were really my biggest support systems and saying, hey, Here's another way besides a medical degree, because I realized throughout my time at Western, I hated medicine. Absolutely love working with people, but I hate everything about medicine. And big props to those people who can do medicine, because that wasn't your girl. (laughs) But um, so, yeah, once McNair showed me the way and I started applying the programs, I said, okay, this this is what I want to do with my life. That's amazing. Give you all the fucking feelings. <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> okay. So you shared, yeah, you shared how you picked the field in those moments. And so, and you kind of touched on your plans after, I'm kind of speaking that you want to do research, but do you want to like work in a particular agency or like okay. university level? What do you envision for yourself after? So I really envision in my ideal world working at a learning or behavioral institute. So Something I could think of off the top of my head from in Baltimore, we have something called the Kennedy Krieger Institute, and it's such like a mental health behavioral institute. Um, So I envision myself doing that. Or now we have like the Neuroscience Institute here in Iowa. Um, We have the Delta Center for Brain Studying and Development. And so that's the kind of jobs I want to do. I don't necessarily know if I want to be a professor just yet, um, but I know that, you know, once I get finished with this degree at Iowa, I want to switch back to working with people and work directly with people and behavioral interventions in the field. Dope. Oh, I love it. Oh, I'm so excited for you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So tell us, well, what year are you also, if I may ask? I just finished my first year. <laughs> 
all right, well then let's really get into this. What has been your, you're in Iowa too. So what has been your experience navigating um, being black and in grad school there? It has been (laughs) a whirlwind. I think that if you talk to a lot of graduate students who are black in Iowa, we all have underlying or overarching things to our stories, but it's such dependent on the department you are in and who your PI is that it's crazy. So when I first came here, I was in two labs and one of the bosses of my labs was making racist and sexist comments and, you know, just sad out of pocket things that had me wondering and questioning if this was the path I wanted to be on and why I brought my black self to Iowa. Like, why would I ever decide to do that? But um, I decided to reach out to administration and say, hey, you know, this isn't working and I need to be somewhere else. And so I switched to said lab. But, you know, I feel like I still deal with a certain level of racism and prejudice and sexism being in Iowa and specifically in my field. And it's tough because you have those people here who want to see you succeed and they want you to do your best and they understand that you're black and they understand, you know, you might be the only black one in your field right now, but they're going to push you and push you and push you and try to help you overcome those um, difficulties. But sometimes, you know, you run into these roadblocks and you're like, why am I in Iowa specifically for Deja night? (laughs) I'm talking about. And so It's been tough. It's been a daily push and pull because, you know, I feel like to be black in Iowa or to be black in a field where you are a minority, much like being black in America, you not only have to focus on being not being broke and you not only have to focus on your research and your studying, but you also have to focus on trying to overcome or surpass microaggressions and racism, which I think is a huge problem. Um, It's an added level of stress on top of the stress of already being a grad student. Yeah, man. <laughs> I totally agree. Super <laughs> accurate. And what I mean, so what has been your like um okay, it sounds like one you you took the time to talk to the administration. I think that was really mm-hmm. amazing. How did you even address that? Like did you sit, sit down and have a meeting, you send an email? Um what did you do? So I sat down and had a meeting. Mm-hmm. So I just went straight, you know, for the top and I sat and I said, "Hey, I think I sent a quick email and said, hey, here's my experiences and this isn't okay. And so I had a meeting and I just want everybody to know, you know, as a student, you have a big voice, which I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I said, listen, I'm the only black girl in this department, grad student wise, um, faculty wise, and I'm one of two like non-white people that I know personally and I've spoken to in my department. And so... I think it was really tough for me to come to terms and say, hey, you know, do y'all know it's racism in y'all department? Are y'all aware? Mm -hmm. Um, But as soon as I sent that email and I sat down with one person, it was like a a trickle down effect. It was like a waterfall. So many people wanted to meet with me, hear my experience in administration and say, oh my God, we want to keep you, want to keep you, want to keep you. And I had a ton of mixed feelings about that. But I think that it's really important that for me that I had to sit down and tell my story because sometimes when I'm writing, I can, A, I can either go one or two directions. I can water down how I feel so much so it doesn't come across in the email so disrespectful or harsh or come across as an angry black woman or fit any stereotypes that people might already have of me. But two, 
um, I can come off really harsh. And I know that because, you know, I'm an outspoken woman and I I know my words have power and I use very strong verbiage when I feel strongly about something. Um, so I think that, you know, I just, I settled on, okay, send an email to say, hey, hey, here's the things I need to talk to you about. And that way in person, I can go and be respectful because, you know, you have to come off as a certain type of respectful for people to even take you seriously in some fields, which is sad, but that's what happens. Um, and so that's how I navigated that. That's great. I'm like, I know that wasn't even the point originally of <laughs> of me interviewing you, but I was like, wow, no, did I get you said something? I think a lot of people get put in those like difficult situations, don't even know what to do, uh-huh. or are afraid of the repercussions. And uh-huh. it sounds like you didn't have any, which is really great. That's great. Right. Yeah. My I was blessed with a uh, department that I didn't have repercussions, you know, it's just like, okay, we know this is an issue and how can we work to fix it? Yeah, that's, that is a blessing for sure. Well, that's amazing. And I hope that someone is empowered if they're dealing with some crazy mess in their lab or with the pool. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. I know it happens all too often and we just kind of deal with it. Um, right. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So let's get to the fun stuff. um the reason i I, like i said before that we're talking to deja is because she made some major money moves like and now that i finally just finished your first year like oh my gosh super duper duper major money moves so (laughs) (laughs) tell us you know what you were able to accomplish and if you want to maybe go through like how you did that um on Uh on a on a stipend, I would, I, I, you would just help everybody, myself. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, um, the big move that I made was I purchased my first home in Iowa, which I'm really, really proud of. So I purchased a two bedroom starter condo, um, in a town called North Liberty, which isn't that far from Iowa city. And, you know, it's an investment pro- property for me. That's how I view it. Because if I'm going to be here for a couple of years, why not own my property, put my love and my care into keeping it up and paying it. And then when I go to sell it, get my money back, you know, mm-hmm. because the um, my property value would have went up, especially buying in a good neighborhood, which we can talk about, where right down the road, they're about to build a new healthcare system. So as soon as that's up, the property prices around this healthcare system are going to skyrocket, you know, might even, you know, double. Mm-hmm. Let's not be wild. That's, <laughs> that's what's going to happen in my wildest dreams. Yeah. But <laughs> um, so how I was able to do that was I, in undergrad, I had worked a couple of jobs. So I had maintained about at least two jobs, I would say. At minimum, I had one job and it was 40 hours a week. But um, at most, at one point, I had three jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was making about what I make now as a as a graduate student. Because in undergrad, I didn't have a salary. As we all know, in undergrad, you don't have a salary. You are piss poor. And so my jobs really sustained me. And so what I did was I was in a position where I was getting all of this money and I didn't know what to do with it, right? And so I started buying lots of clothes. And I started buying lots of shoes and you know, just ridiculous things. My wardrobe grew and I had makeup galore and every, I had everything materialistic, but I didn't feel like I owned anything. I didn't feel rich. I felt really poor at the end of the day. And I was receiving a package every day. Um, and that was only temporary happiness for me. Mm-hmm. And so I had this old car. My mom gave me this 99 Toyota Corolla for my 17th birthday. And that's what I took to undergrad. 
in Connecticut. And that car was really coming to this lifespan. It had close to 300,000 miles on it. And so I decided once that car had went up and I was temporarily using my stepmom's car, I decided, you know, I'm going to purchase me a car. And so I went to the car dealership with my parents and I love them, love them, love them dearly. But I do not feel like I learned a lot about credit from them. So this was my first biggest financial mistake. I went into the car dealership and they said, okay, man, we have to run your credit. And I said, okay, great. I've never bought anything <laughs> that had had my credit ran. So my credit should be spectacular. <laughs> it wasn't. I had no credit. Right. And so <laughs> I sat there and I said, okay, I have no credit. What's the problem? So are y'all going to give me this car or not? And what I did not know was that no credit is seen as worse than bad credit. Because when you have no credit, they don't even know what to do with you. They don't even know if you're going to pay your loan back, if you're not going to pay it back, if you're going to skip town. They have no clue what your risk level is. So that's seen as so bad. At least with no with bad credit, they can give you this high APR and say, you know, worst come to worst, we make a lot of money off of this person. Right. So <laughs> I had no credit. And so this salesperson said, but we could get you into a car today, you know, and I bought that car and I believe it was a 09 Hyundai Elantra. And I was so proud. I said, this car was beautiful. And I walked out of the car dealership and I paid it off for a year. And um, the car was $11,000, let me add. And so at the end of that year, I said, hmm, let me see how much I paid down from this loan. I had only paid down about $1,000 to $1,500 off this loan. And I was like, how... Is that possible? Because I believe my car loan was around, or my um, car note was around like two fifty, oh maybe three hundred. Yes. So I said, "How is this possible that if I'm paying all of this every month, my car note or my my loan only went down a thousand to fifteen hundred?" Mm. I'm talking to one of my friends who knew credit and they said, well, Deja, what's your APR? And I said, oh, girl, I don't know, because I had never been taught to look at that. I go to check my APR on that car and it was 23 percent. I was like, it had to be crazy high with that. Oh, my God. 23 percent. And I remember my friend looking at me and saying, Deja, you'll never pay this car off at this way. You'll pay it off after this car is worth like $500. You need to get out this loan. And so when I went to go trade my car in said year, oh my God, I was was in what's called an upside down loan. (laughs) So you owe more money than what you are paying on is worth. So when I went to go trade my car in with $11,000 still left on this loan, probably 10 at this point, my car was worth $3,000. Oh, my gosh. So that was an $8,000 gap. Whew. That was heavy. That broke my heart. I tried to trade that car in everywhere. Nobody would take it until Coons, um, Chevy, and Baltimore White Marsh took it. And they were able to offer me 6000 on it. So now I only had 5000 rollover. And then I just purchased a new car. And I had even less rollover. So slowly but surely, I'm getting out of that loan. And, of course, if anybody wants to know about that, you can always feel free to add me and ask me about that. Um, but that was heartbreaking to me to own a $3,000 car and I have to pay 11000 on it. Right. So that experience taught me. Okay, Deja, you need to start working on your credit. 
You need to start learning how to save. You need to start looking at APRs. You need to look at all of that. You need to start asking questions and learning because obviously you have no clue what's happening and this can be costly for you because you're paying all this money. All that money that I was paying was all interest. The bank was making that. Not to mention that the bank I uh, had my car loan through, that said car loan that was upside down, did not allow for refinancing. So you could not get off of it unless you sold it. Oh, because I was like, <laughs> or paid it off. Oh, it didn't allow for refinancing, girl. I checked into that and they said, we don't allow refinancing. Yep. So, yeah, I, I had to throw that fact in there because I know people thinking, girl, you just refinance. Mm-mm. Not every company allow you to refinance, which I also did not know. So um, I started slowly but surely in undergrad. You know, first I started saving $5 a month and I was like, okay. I noticed I had a little bit extra left over, so I bumped that to $50 a month. And I said, okay. And um, I just kept re-examining what was left over in my bank account at the end of the month at, versus what I was making and kept putting more and more and more and more in savings, right? And it got to the point where instead of spending all my money and seeing what I had left over, I made a budget. You know, I said, what are my expenses? What do I have left over at the end of the month? what worst case scenario I make, what best case scenario I make. And from that, I gave myself an allowance. So I said, okay, Deja, your allowance for the month is $200. You know, I was generous with myself. And this is for anytime you want to buy anything, go out. If you want to buy a shirt or a new pair of shoes, this need to come out to 200. If you want to go out for drinks, this need to come out to 200. And anything that's not part of that, anything you have left over from your check will go in savings. And that worked really well for me. At first I said, oh my goodness, I'm not going to make it. You know, I need money. I need money. I need money. And I got to the point where I was like, okay, $200 is a lot of money. You know, it's a lot of money. And there's a lot of things you can do when you're broke. I have found the ways. (laughs) (laughs) So I just saved up a whole bunch of money. And as I was in my senior year and I was accepted into UIowa, I said, okay, now I need to dedicate this money to moving expenses. So I think that when I was about to move, I had saved up on my own close to $4,000. And I was like, okay, great. This is a starter. This is where we're going to go. Let's do this. So I got prepared to move to Iowa. And I remember coming here and I was looking to rent, 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 rent. And I had a realtor to help me. And again, a I didn't know that realtors are free for people that are searching for a place to live. I had no clue. Mm -hmm. I thought you paid a realtor. You know, I had never worked with a realtor. I had only seen them in TV shows and movies. And I was like, oh, people pay them to do that. And so once I got here and they said, no, we are work free for you. The people who pay us is the people who own these properties or are trying to rent them or sell them. And I said, oh, so you mean you can help me find a place and it costs nothing for me? in my budget. And she said, yes, ma'am. And I was like, okay, we're going to use you. So utilizing your resources. I pay nothing for that. And so I um, talked to her and she said, hey, here's a credit union and here's a bank. You can decide which one that you want to go through. Why don't you talk to them first and get pre-approved for a mortgage if you want to buy? Because buying is smart if you live somewhere for more than two years. 
Um, and we can go from there. And I said, oh, it's that easy? And she said, yes, ma'am. So I called the credit union and my, um, mortgage loan officer was really, really sweet. And he said, okay, we're going to work with you. We're going to get together your credit and we're going to get together your past job history. And by this time I had been working on my credit for approximately three years. So my credit was great. It was in the early 700s and I was really proud of myself. I said, okay. You know, I was, when I actually purchased my house, I was 22. It was, so I was really proud of myself and um, he pre-approved me. You know, he said, okay, you're pre-approved to up to 90,000. And I said, me? <laughs> and he says, yes. I was like, what's the catch? What I'm, what, how much am I going to be paying? And um, he broke down my mortgage and he said, here's the mortgage. Here's the APR. Here's how you do insurance. Here's how you do escrow. Um, all these different things. And I said, oh, wow. Okay. All right. And he was really sweet. You have to work with people who are willing to answer your questions because I was new and God bless his heart that he had patience because I asked every question. What is the APR after a certain number of years? Will it go up? How many years is my mortgage? What is the property like in this neighborhood? You know, if I go to sell in five years, will it make money? What have past people done? Have past people make money? I want to talk to the owners of the people who's selling those kind of things. And so when I had come to visit Iowa, my um, realtor had already had three properties set up for me to look at. And I looked at them. And um, by that time, I had learned about, you know, mortgages and about owning a home and that good things. And I made an offer and it was accepted that same night before I even left. Um, so I was really, really, really happy. And when I went to go uh, and working with my realtor was great because my realtor, I feel like, really had my best interests at heart. And she told me about closing price, closing um, costs, which I also didn't know about. I had no clue what a closing cost was. I said, huh? What do you mean I have to pay to close on? What you, that's in my mortgage. No, it's not always in your mortgage. You have to put that in your mortgage or put that in writing where you want that. And so my realtor had it worked out as to where my um, sellers would pay the closing costs so that didn't have to come out of my pocket. So I had set down to put, I had it already set up to put a down payment down. And because of the way the closing costs work and because of my credit at the time and because of just how money felt, I didn't even have to put all of my down payment down. So I still had money to decorate my place and move. And it was all great. But it definitely started way back in undergrad, you know, three years ago when I had to start with that $5 a month and I had to examine what do I have left over? What do I not have left over? What do I need to put in savings? Okay, what can I cut back on? Do I really need five shirts this month? <laughs> and really asking yourself the, um, those tough questions. And I learned from some of the best. So I'll give a shout out to the Budgetista if you want to Google her. She's fabulous. She has some free, um, just, uh, what do you, what do I want to call them? They're like lesson plans almost. So she had free lessons where it take you through the actual steps of budgeting and it take you through the actual steps of raising your credit and it take you through the actual steps of calculating your net worth and raising your net worth. And they're free. Now, some of the stuff you have to pay for, of course, um, it's a business, <laughs> but some of her resources on her website are free. And so that's some of what I did, you know, I, for free, I followed her and I learned what net worth was and I learned what credit. And I started to bust the myths that I thought I knew about credit. And I started to be reassured in the things I knew about credit. 
And um, that's how I was able to purchase my home. You know, I really focused on what I had and how I could optimize what I have to get what I want. And that's how I live my life. I love it. And the way your approach, that was perfect. So, mm-hmm. um, wow. Okay. So you, you ended up not even, right? You moved in before you even started program. You bought a house for Right. Mm-hmm. So I moved in approximately two months before I started my program, which is great because it allowed me time to really settle in and learn an area. And I would only suggest moving in early if you had a plan. So I had it already set up to start working in the lab before my program had even started. So I moved in on a Friday and my job started on a Monday. Wow. <laughs> so I had no overlap. I mean, no, um, no gap in that's mm-hmm. what I was wondering. I'm like, wow, how did she, you know, manage that? Um, as far as like wanting, to, you know, making sure because that gap is real. After my, mm-hmm. I definitely did not have a plan together, so mm-hmm. I had no money for like two months. <laughs> like, what is this? This is hard. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of people have that. So I've had that before. I didn't have that this time, but I've had that before. You know, in summers, my first summer as an undergrad, I didn't know you had to start applying to programs way in advance. I had no job, so I had that gap my first summer. Um, and so now what I do is I have two savings account. Actually, I have one that is solely designated towards saving, 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 you know, for any emergencies, for any gaps in jobs, for any, I have to leave any, anything. I get sick, anything. I have that emergency, emergency, emergency fund and my emergency fund, how I calculated how much will always stay in that. Mm -hmm is I have calculated how much my expenses are for the month, which you'll already know if you did a budget. And I have six months worth worth of that those expenses in my emergency savings account. So theoretically, if anything ever happens, God forbid, you know, I have six months where I will be covered financially in that emergency account. And I put that in a, a certificate at my credit union. So it'll grow a little bit more, um, a little bit more, you know, interest than it would in my regular savings account. And I can't just touch it when I want to. I can only touch it after, you know, it comes out, after if after the term is over, or I can only touch it if emergency happens and I have to take it out of the certificate earlier. Um, and so that's what I keep it in. I know some of my friends keep their emergency funds in like stocks and bonds or investment accounts and those type of things. And I keep mine in the certificate. And then I have a regular savings account, which is just at my bank, just in my savings account. And that savings account is for oh, um, my friend wants to go on a trip for New Year's and I've been saving and now I can use this money to buy my plane ticket and I can use this money to buy, you know, um, my portion of the Airbnb or whatever. So I don't have to take that out of my budget. So my budget is still flowing, flowing, flowing fine. I don't have to figure out, oh my God, where's this money coming from or how I'm going to pay it off. I have that already in my regular savings account and I don't have to take it for my emergency. So I have two. Nice. Okay. I really like that. I have, it's similar, but yours is structured better. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I like save for trips and stuff, but I like that, mm-hmm. um, that idea. Okay. I like that. Nice. So mm-hmm. you use Budget Nisa, are there any particular books or anything other, any other products you used in learning about finances and personal finance? So I used the Budget Nisa. She was a big one. I used um, financial education services. So um, 
that was definitely important to me because my mom was a seller of, um, what do you call it? Financial credit, repair your credit, uh, is what what they call it. Just credit repair. Mm -hmm. Um, so I learned about it through there. I watched her webinars and I was added to groups about financial planning. I also joined groups that was for like homeowners or financial planners or black dollars and investment, those types of things. And then I read this book. I can't remember who it was by. I'm trying to look it up now. Um, uh, but it was it was just called budget, and um how to re how to redo your finances, how to rethink about money, um and I can't remember who it was by. It's just at my local library. But what I would say is, don't spend money on that stuff. You know, on books and stuff like that. I went to my library, and in the search tool where you have at most schools that we're at, um, I put in budget or finances or financial freedom or any of those keywords, and I saw what books they had in my library, and I read those books first before I spent my money on other books because a lot of the books say the same thing, right? They have the same stories, so I started with those free books, so I wasn't spending my money on those. Things. And then I did things like I signed up for the Budgetista and did her free classes. So I wasn't paying for that. And then financial education services. I, my mom had signed up. So I signed up. Um, but I had only signed up for one month and I got all the resources that I needed from financial education services. And I was like, okay, great. That was enough for me. And I kept going. So I learned about credit through trial and error. Yes, through my life. But also I just utilized free resources. I was determined not to pay for anything. I said, I'm already broke. I don't want to be broker trying to figure out how not to be broke. That made no sense to me. <laughs> That's real. Okay. Cool. Okay. So also it sounds like you were able, you have a lot of self-discipline too. Cause when I heard mm-hmm. you say 200 bucks, you're like, okay, Deja, you get 200 bucks. I'm like 200 bucks a week, 200 bucks a month. I'm like, a month. Oh my gosh. Okay. You okay? Also, it's like when I hear you say, that, I'm like, yeah, I'm 29. Just like, <laughs> so mm-hmm. go a different type of way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Versus, yeah, 200 bucks a month in undergrad. Yeah, no, I'm rich. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes. That, I was like, okay, because she said it like it's nothing. I'm like, she's 23. Think about it. I'm like, $200. I can go accident spend $200 now. It's insane. Same. I was spending. Oh my goodness. I don't even want to know what I was spending undergrad, but I can tell you, my friends can tell you, Deja had a package of clothes, a whole package, not a shirt, not a pair of shoes, a whole package of clothes arrived at least once a week. But it was at the frequency of like four or five times a week. I was getting new packages to my house. That was all through my dime. Nobody was sponsoring me. <laughs> it was all through my money. I had all that money. That's hilarious. No, I, I understand. But I that it sounds but it sounds like also you kind of you kind of kept getting like little nudges and you would take advantage of those nudges in the right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's also um kind of a note is if someone is giving you some good advice, if you can ad- identify that it's good advice, then to go with it. Right. And what I would say, um, to give a little piece of financial advice is so many people can tell you how to budget. So many people can tell you what you should be saving, how you should be saving, yada, yada, yada. But unless it is so realistic to your life, it's not going to work. So if you say, Deja, I do X, Y, and Z. I spend $200 a week. I would never tell you to give yourself a $200 allowance a week. It's just not going to be realistic. And you're going to break your budget 
every single month. And then you're not working towards the goal and you're not accomplishing what you set out to do. And so your budget, um, I talk about this in a video. You can follow me on Facebook. It's just Deja Knight, D-E-J-A. Um, but so many people make these budgets and they say, okay, I want to spend this and I want to save this. And it's not realistic to their lives. So they're breaking their budgets and they're not saving. And then they get discouraged and they stop the budget altogether because they say, obviously it's not working. No, it's a budget can work if you make it realistic. So when I estimate how much I make, I estimate the low range of what I make. So if I make more that month, I'm pleasantly surprised, right? Not scrounging for money because this isn't what I expected. And then when I estimate how much, you know, my utilities are on average, I estimate at the high end of utilities because I'd rather say, oh, I'm gonna have a tiny little bit left over every month and then be pleasantly surprised every month and have to update my budget in three months than to be, um, unpleasantly surprised and sitting there poor and saying my budget isn't working and then if I know I spend a hundred dollars a week doing whatever and that's just my lifestyle then my budget will be a hundred dollars a week to give myself an allowance and I'm gonna just try to make that my average but if I know I spend 200 or 300 or whatever it may have you in your budget that's what you need to put in there and assume will happen you know assume the worst hope for the best So that's my piece of financial advice. You know, make your budget super realistic to you. Don't make it so that your savings account can grow the fastest or how can I save the most money and just live super, super poor? No. How can I make my budget so that this is what I'm already doing, but I'm setting in this stone so that this, instead of being, oh, what I do to be known, it can be something that I'm consciously working towards to keep happening so I can save more. I love it. I love it. So I, if you kind of, you just dropped it in there, but we can follow you and get more financial advice, Deja? Yes. So I'm making videos. I made my first video last week. I think it was Mm -hmm. Tuesday. Um, And they're just on my Facebook and I just record them on my computer and I upload them and then anybody can share them and watch because, um, you know, I feel like I have learned a lot in my short lifetime, the negative way about credit and saving. And I just want to share the wealth. You know, some of my friends aren't as credit and, you know, budget savvy as I am. And we ask each other questions and they might know some things that I don't know and they teach me and I might know some things that they don't know and I teach them. And if we don't know something together, we go out and learn. But that's how, you know, that's how word, that's how knowledge spread. And, you know, I'm all about uplifting my community. So you can follow me on Facebook. My first name is spelled D-E-J-A and my last name is Knight with a K. So K-N-I-G-H-T. And, um, just see what videos I post. So I'll be posting another video this week, probably on like the importance of credit, um, touching on some of the stuff that I talked about in this mm-hmm. episode. Um, but really it's just my journey that I'm sharing with you guys in the hopes that, you know, people don't make the same mistakes that I do. So you can take what you need or take what you want and leave what you already know. And we can all share the wealth. That's my yes, idea. I, lo- I really love that. And I'm so happy. I'm going to follow you. I was going to ask, like, do you plan on keeping that? Well, you said you were thinking about selling it after you were done. Um, Mm -hmm. Are you going to have you considered having a roommate to just pay the mortgage or you're like, it's not even that big of a deal? 
Yeah, so I definitely am all about saving my coins. <laughs> I definitely am. And I'm single right now, so it's just me in this place by myself. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely have thought about having a roommate. Actually, one of my sororities, I'm part of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, my sorority. Um, and so one of my sororities is actually going to um, move in with me next month, and we're just going to share this place together because it's big and she wants a place to live and I'm here by myself. And so I'm all about that. I'm like, it's moving, please let's split bills and get this moving. Um, but I have thought about, you know, if I didn't, if she didn't move in next month, downsizing and just renting this place out, because again, it could be a great income property Mm -hmm. for me. Um, I could, you know, rent this place out for at least easily $200 more than my mortgage. But right now this place is going for $400 more than my mortgage for rent. So my mortgage plus $400 is what people will be paying. And the $400 will be in my pocket and my mortgage will be paid every month. And so win, win, win. Um, so I thought about selling it when I move. I'm still on the fence because there's a lot of great property managers out there. Um, such as the owner of my homeowners association, since I live in a condo, he manages properties as well. And they charge about 10 to 15% of what your mortgage is, which really isn't that bad if you're pocketing a couple hundred every month mm-hmm. and you get, keep having that income come while somebody comes and check in with you about how your property is doing. Um, and like I mentioned, you know, the new healthcare system is being built down the street. So I think I might keep it for a couple of years just to see, you know, how things turn because I do want to stay in real estate. You know, I love owning my property. And I do want to own property in other places. And if I have somebody that can manage it, you know, hopefully somebody black or of color, of course, um, then that would be ideal. Uh, that you, you on your stuff, like, that is what's up. Like, that you've thought this through. That's mm-hmm. so, yeah, we all need to follow Deja so we can get our lives together, okay? <laughs> Let's get our lives together, together, together. Yes, I love it. Well, Deja, thank you so much for coming on and telling us about your journey and how you're able to just like really set yourself up while in grad school. And for people who are- Thank you. Yeah. And for people who are like- Thank you for inviting me. No, I was pressed. I Honestly, this was totally (laughs) selfish. I was like, I want to hear her story. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to lie, but um, I also know there are a lot of um, finances is just something that's really hard in grad school because we just, mm-hmm. and um, yes. Yeah, so the last segment we always do is lessons from the trap. Yes. And so I wanted to know what your lesson from the trap is for us. So mine is Know Me by The weekend, the remix, okay. the remix. I like the remix better than the regular. But the chorus is like, every time you try to forget who I am, I'll be right there to remind you again, you know me. I love that chorus because I feel like in life, in grad school especially, you have people that try you every single day. Every day, people are trying you. You know, your research try you. I work with animals. My animals try me. My former boss tries me. And I have to be right there to remind those people like, no, 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 no. Let me let me reintroduce you to Deja Knight. Like, let me tell you who I am. Let you not forget. Um, so that's my lesson from the trap. You know, never be afraid to tell somebody who you are, especially I'll, I'll wrap this up with a financial example of know me. When I had my first homeowners association meeting, 
I walked into the room and I was the youngest and the only black person in the room. And all the old white people sat there and they said, honey, who are you coming on behalf? And I said, Deja Knight. And they said, who's that? And I said, myself. And they said, okay, well, this is the homeowners association meeting. And I said, mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. I'm a homeowner. That's my home. And I sat myself down. You have to remind people of who you am. Tell it, put respect on your name in every sense of the way. Don't ever let somebody forget who you are. I love it. Yes. Respect. Yes. Respect me. That's right. And so you told us where we can find you on Facebook. Are you, um, do you have Instagram or Twitter where we can follow you as well? Yeah. So I have Instagram and my Instagram is at underscore dimples spelled with a Y. So at underscore D Y M P L E S. So that's my um, Instagram. And then my Facebook, again, is just my name, Deja Knight. You should be able to find me. And I don't have Twitter. I need to make Twitter because my friend tells me black Twitter is always cutting up. But <laughs> maybe I'll make Twitter and I'll let y'all all know on Facebook. Sure. And black academic Twitter is very real. So, like, yeah, if you're looking for, like, other black grad students and stuff, like, because mm-hmm. I didn't have a Twitter until I started doing this. I was like, what? I, I, I'm, I'm not even a social person to begin with, but, like, a right. lot of you can find a lot of support in the community um and on Twitter. So oh, yeah. Okay, I might make one. Yeah. We might do an update and I'll tell y'all what my Twitter is. There you go, and I can always add to the show notes, so it's nothing. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, thank you so much, Deja. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Black and in Grad School. For more content to help you on your grad school journey check out blackandgradschool.com. That's B-L-K-I-N gradschool.com. Love this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Until next time. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.